as a premise today, I want to take the question, some form of which you may be familiar with. Is the reason that the world is in such sad shape as we see it today that Christianity has been tried and found wanting? Or is it rather that Christianity has never really been tried at all? Let me put the matter in the words of the great African-American preacher and theologian who ministered for a long time in San Francisco, Dr. Howard Thurman. He asked it this way, why is it that Christianity seems impotent to deal radically and therefore effectively with the issues of discrimination and injustice that on the basis of race, religion, and national origin? Is this impotency due to a betrayal of the genius of the religion, or is it due to a basic weakness in the religion itself? This form of the question he used to frame his classic book, Jesus and the Disinherited, a book that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is said to have kept in his suitcase whenever he traveled to a speech or a demonstration and which he referred to often. Has the genius of the religion been disregarded, avoided, or betrayed by its proponents? Or is the thing itself flawed, broken or terminally weak, anemic, unable to match the increasingly complex challenges it must face today. So as we turn our attention on this holiday to the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., it seems to me an appropriate lens, this question, to consider him through. Where did he come out on this question? Indeed, I believe that it is the question the formal question that consumed his intellectual life. As he writes to the white American clergyman from the Birmingham jail in Alabama in 1955, at the beginning of his prominence as a civil rights leader, he confronts these spokespeople for the rich and powerful insiders of this nation with their failure to live up to their claims to be a Christian nation. Today, such claims, if made at all, are made by a narrow segment of the church, are still a part of what is proudly regarded as American exceptionalism, the gleaming city on a hill once touted as the identity of this nation is now more obviously white, by which I mean that it is not just in luster, but more unapologetically white in its racial makeup. What King once famously called the most segregated hour in American life, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, the hour of Christian worship, is at least as divided as it was then.
if not more. Almost every congregation I'm aware of would like, at least in theory, to be more integrated racially, more reflective of the surroundings in which they live. The reality, of course, is that we citizens of Marin County here at St. John's live in, a most, in the most segregated county in the state of California. The story is told at St. Stephen's Belvedere, where I once ministered, that after the Rodney King police brutality incident caught and released on cell phone video and the subsequent riots in Los Angeles that it sparked, when the good people of St. Stephen's invited some congregants from a church in Marin City to meet with them, the question was raised. What can we, members of St. Stephen's Church, do to make a difference in the deplorable imbalance in equity that leads to the kind of action of a black man beaten by police? It was almost an audible gasp, apparently. The stark answer to this question left the people gathered at St. Stephen's speechless. Move to Marin City, came the answer. If you want to make a difference, you can't do so from outside. Sell your home and move to Marin City. In that moment was exposed what the late Palestinian professor of Middle Eastern Studies at Columbia University, Edward Said, called the logics that support or are at ease with the status quo of grossly differentiated wealth and poverty. Uneven access to the necessary resources of life and health and forms of sublimely stubborn oppression massed inside social conventions. In our case, it is that we have been offered and bought a form of religion that need not affect our bottom line, our status, our privilege, our standard of living and our acceptance in the eyes of the powerful. Having spiritualized the teachings of Jesus, having made them religious, we have allowed ourselves to become complacent and thus complicit in injustice. Into just such a national religious context, whether a black or white, Dr. King answered the call to be a prophet of civil rights. In the final two years of his life, he began to broaden his message. The acceptance he gained from his activism in the civil rights movement and from his I have a dream speech touted as one of the greatest speeches of American history to his labor organizing, it all became a hindrance to him, a kind of trap that caused him to be labeled, ignored, and dismissed 
he recognized that racial, racial injustice was part of what we have learned to call systemic oppression. And he changed his prophetic message. In a sermon at Grace Cathedral, and then at the National Cathedral in Washington, and at the Marble Collegiate Church in New York City, he boldly made the connection between American militarism, that in those days, the war in Vietnam, and the racial and economic injustice at home. It was his sharp rhetorical turn toward the cross that brought about his assassination. It turned President Johnson against him, resulted in harsh criticism from the editorial board of the New York Times, which had supported him in the past. Longtime friends of his abandoned him. American patriotism could not be touched. He became dangerous and had to be silenced. He entered the toxic space of rejection that Jesus himself had occupied for us on Calvary the night before he was shot to death, martyred on a hotel balcony in Memphis, Tennessee. He spoke to a small gathering in a church and said, invoking both Moses and Jesus, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Like Jesus, he was glorified in his death, in his willingness to speak the truth and suffer the consequences. And his memorial is not in statues or in a national holiday. If anything, these tend to obfuscate his radical message, to soften and make less costly his own way of the cross and his calling of us or on us to follow him. It tends to make him an idol and diminish his true contribution, which was to revitalize Christian action and witness. At the end of the great wars of the 20th century, closing the age of empire, Christianity began to recognize its own complicity with social, economic, and racial oppression, like the Holocaust, and turned to theologians of existentialism, some of whom were its harshest critics. Friedrich Nietzsche, probably the greatest, some might even say the last great philosopher of the modern era, who famously declared, God is dead, and did so partly because of his harsh critique of the soft Christian love he saw preached in church, claimed that Christian love glorified weakness and covered a hidden resentment which gave believers a false and impractical sense of superiority. 
Instead, he called, Nietzsche called, for the will to power in order to resist injustice and liberate oppressed people. We saw the effects of this in full flower in the German Third Reich. And we are as yet seeing it again in our current politics. Dr. King rejected this in favor of a different kind of power and resistance, one that he saw lived out in the life and work of Mahatma Gandhi. With Satyagraha, or truth power, Gandhi resisted evil with as much vigor and force as the most violent resistor. But he resisted with love instead of hate. True pacifism, or what we have learned to call nonviolent resistance, is not an unrealistic or quietistic submission to evil power. It is rather a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. He said, we must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. King's effective use of nonviolent resistance has led to the liberal mainline Protestant and Roman Catholic churches to re-examine their own trust in violence and power and to adopt the faith that, quote, it is better to be the recipient of violence than the perpetrator of it, since the latter only multiplies the existence of violence and bitterness in the universe, while the former may bring about a transformation and a change of heart in the enemy. To put it another way, as a takeoff on the popular question of evangelicals of years gone by, what would Jesus do? Or as I like to ask the question, who would Jesus kill? Unfortunately, this may become an existential question in the not-too-distant future for all of us. King's answer to us is clear. We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. Ultimately, it is another occasion for asking the question I began with this morning. Christian action for social justice in America, is it something that has been tried and failed, or does it await us to try it? St. John's Church a church rejuvenated, renewed, and renewed by the witness of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. 